Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, it's day 11 of the Australian Open and our women's final lineup is set. It will be Wimbledon champion Elena Rabakina against first time major finalist Arena Sabalenka. It is one minute past midnight and you find us in the media cafe. Myself, Matt, David, and for the first time this tournament, the Daily Telegraph, Simon Briggs. Hello, Simon. Hello. Hey. I worked out that uh, I think I only come on when I'm previewing uh, a Ribikina final. <laughs> it's only the second one she's been in. <laughs> yeah. I think last time I was accused of being a bit mean about her because I think I said that everyone's going to be pulling for Ron Jabeur. But today I did, I did really want um, Ribikina to win because I thought that the two players... Um, well, there are two players today who I thought had a potential to be like massive stars going forward for a while, and, sh- and she's one of them. So I was I was hoping she was going to come through. It's an interesting final in uh, in a lot of different ways. We've got a lot to talk about today, haven't we, Simon? Uh, I know you've been listening throughout the course of the fortnight. You've heard your mentions. Oh, I've been uh, well served with. Uh, <laughs> It mentions me very delighted by that. Thank you. <laughs> I got a hard time from Matt Futterman today for not liking Blake Shelton. To be clear, I have no particular feelings about Blake Shelton and his music. I've I do. I mean, yeah. <laughs> on first glance or first listen, it doesn't sound very good. But you know, I've not I've not deep dived. But anyway, Matt Futterman informs me that he's, he's big fan. He's you know he's 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 at least okay. Yes. Matt likes him because he quote used to live in the south, mm. and apparently as that if means it's a sort of prerequisite of living that, in the south. Yeah, exactly. It's a prerequisite of being a country singer, surely. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway, I know you've been listening over the course of the fortnight, Simon. So you'll know that we are sponsored this Australian Open by On Location, the premium hospitality and experience provider. Will you be in Indian Wells, Simon? Unlikely. It's always a tricky week for the Telegraph because it coincides with the last round of the Six Nations as well as Champions League football, so you can't get anything in the paper or on the website. Well, you won't get to talk about Elena Rabakina playing in the Indian Wells final with us then, because yeah, we're going to be there. She'll I, be disappointed. I guess she won't be in it, because <laughs> yeah. Simon's not there. Yeah, she should fund me. She's not interested in being in it if Simon's not there to, to like, hype it up. Well, we'll be there. Elena Rabakina 
will be there. Will you be going to Miami, Simon? Yes, I've uh, booked a place in Miami for some extortionate rate. I'm on a sofa bed. (laughs) 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 Well, that leads me nicely to the competition prize that on location in Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours are offering one lucky tennis podcast newsletter subscriber. No sofa beds for our competition winner. Can Simon enter? I'll I'll be entering. I was thinking that. Uh, you can win a three-night stay at the official Miami Open. This feels like rubbing salt in your wounds now, Simon. A three-night stay at an official Miami Open tournament hotel for two guests. You could bring a guest. That's uh, Mike with, Dixon. <laughs> with <laughs> tickets to two full day and night sessions, premium hospitality and transportation to the venue, all included. Um, breakfast with Simon. Would you like to take a turn at semi-obscure tennis player name here? Ooh. Um, I've gone completely blank. That's the Daily Telegraph's <laughs> tennis correspondent, unable to name a tennis player. I just filed a report that said, uh, tennis report dash, yes, it's actually tennis this time. <laughs> I mean, I'm more likely to have uh, breakfast with a man in a suit. That's kind of most of my appointments. Would anybody else like to submit a sort of B slash C list tennis player? Uh, I'm going to go for Miamir Ketsmanovic. Didn't he do really well in Miami last year? Is it, are you saying he's not obscure enough? He did. He beat uh, Ujali Asim, I think. Played a great match with Carlos Alcaraz. Mm. Okay, That's then I'll good. go for Victoria Kuzmova then. Okay. I'm not sure she's, <laughs> she's making the main draw. Anyway, anyway, if you'd like... <laughs> If you'd like to enter the competition, the link to subscribe to the newsletter is in our show notes. The URL to enter the competition is tours4tennis.com forward slash podcast. Tours, the number four, tennis.com forward slash podcast. There's also the 5% discount code on all Steve Ogle's international tennis tours throughout 2023. That is available to all friends of the tennis podcast. Now, the two women's semifinals that we have seen tonight. We started with uh, Elena Rabatkina beating Victoria Azarenka 7-6, 6-3. And we finished with, in terms of scoreline and kind of pattern of the match, a fairly similar clash between Irina Sabalenka and Magdalenette Sabalenka winning 7-6, 6-2. The set of the night without question, I think as much as the first set of Sabalenka against Lynette was quite compelling because it was watching Sabalenka desperately trying to find her game and settle her nerves. The set of the night, without question, the first set between Azarenka and Rabakina, which was a scorcher, I thought. David, you watched it from the Five Live commentary box. Yeah, and it was, it was interesting because a number of times I thought it was over, one way or the other, and it turned out not to be. Really, in terms of a differential in power, Rabakina just was knocking her off the court I mean early on it's quite a sight to see her ball strike I mean I I was watching Azarenka and I was thinking you know here's somebody who's played Serena Williams at her peak and been a proper rival of hers in two brilliant US Open finals but I'm not sure she's seen a faster ball than this coming because how flat it goes and the wingspan and everything else and the serve and then there were moments when the serve completely disintegrated for, from Rebecca and she felt the nerves today in a way that I didn't really remember her feeling the nerves at Wimbledon. When she was up in a set, she, I think she missed eight serves in a row. She suddenly was in trouble in that first set. I mean, I think at five all, love 40. And I think 
I think Azarenka will have a few regrets there because she, she had a chance, you know. Yeah, she did. She was sitting on a second serve return on one of those break points in that five all game and had a backhand and went for it cross court, netted it and you kind of thought in that moment she might she might regret that and, and I think she definitely did because as you said that was a period of the match where Rebecca just couldn't serve. She'd been she'd been five three up, she had a set point, she had a volley that she played a little bit tentatively and Azarenka reached it and fired a fantastic forehand up the line to save that set point. And then for about the next ten or fifteen minutes Azarenka was really the one kind of in charge and with the momentum but when she didn't take those break points Rebecca kind of settled again um, finally found her serve I think it was at the, at the 11th attempt I think she missed 10 first serves in a row um, and then Rebecca just got ahead in the tie break and, and managed to maintain that lead um, <laughs> but really I, I think I agree that that was the set of the night and it did feel like Azarenka kind of needed to win it though uh, with with the chances that she did have but it's such an awesome sight seeing Rebecca up close I didn't actually watch her on court at Wimbledon last year but seeing her here the it's funny the the sort of main thing that I take from it is the sound of the ball you know it just sounds different off her racket so pure so clean um, and yeah, the sort of the way she rolls over the the shot with that sort of long extension of her arms is is an awesome sight. And I think if if her Wimbledon run was a little bit surprising, I guess in a way, there's there's kind of felt nothing that surprising about this. Sort of every time she stepped on the court here, I've thought, yeah, she's looking really good, really strong, um, and she's beaten three three major champions in a row now hasn't she, hasn't she? Fiontek Ostapenko and, and Azarenka she had a tough draw and just come through it you know so confidently and even before that she, she beat Collins last year's finalist like she's she's the real deal we're back you know she stayed calm didn't she when things were ropey and somebody said to me today she's got a low heartbeat and that did feel to be the case also I thought she returned really well when she wasn't serving well yeah like if the best if the best server on the women's tour can return like that, yeah. it's kind of trouble for Watch everyone. Out everyone. The, the, the power is really interesting, though, because, of course, she is extremely powerful, Elena Rabakino. Those are big, weighty shots, and yet the way she produces that power makes it, it sort of fools you into thinking she's not a power player because there's something so smooth and gentle about the way she produces that power, rolling over the ball somehow. It is a little, I know this is, Matt's going to balk at this, but it is a little Anisimova-esque on that backhand. Somehow the flight of the ball and the looseness of the stroke and the sort of lulling way it makes you feel like running water. Yeah, Timing and, and obviously with the wingspan and because it is such a fluid motion, a bit like the Serena Williams serve. Serena Williams is not, explosively muscling that ball over it is just a smooth stroke that is perfection and I'm sure we'll come on to Sabalenka in a minute but what an interesting contrast mm. that final is going to be because Sabalenka you really you really see her put the effort in to generate the power it's they're both power players but in very different ways yeah it's really not as simple as power player against power player that is it how significant for, for you all was it tonight that Rabakina had been there and done it 
before, playing against somebody obviously that's a, a two-time Australian Open champion, I thought when she, when her serve completely deserted her at the end of that first set when she was in control and suddenly Azarenka hit a hot streak, I think, you know, had she had less experience in that situation, that could have all got away from her very, very quickly. That must feel very alarming when your biggest weapon, your most reliable weapon, just disappears on you for 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 apparently no reason um, I thought she did incredibly well to to pull it together I almost that. felt like she was the more experienced one didn't she mm. in that moment um, because Azarenka yeah, in second set and moving on a bit in the match she uh, her, her shoulders thumped a bit um, she she kind of stood and, and glared at her her player box quite a little and and, and she was you know admonishing herself and it was Rebecca. You can't really imagine Rebecca ever doing that. She never says anything, <laughs> good or bad, on the court. She never. They seems... say a lot to her, mm. but she says nothing. Well, back. that's the thing. You mentioned about her having the the lowest heartbeat. It's a good job, really, to keep those people calm in a support team. I, I mean, think they feel that their job is to is to raise it because otherwise she might just doze off. Maybe, maybe. Um, I mean, the other thing about her is she's got a physique a little bit like Pliskova. But unlike Pliskova, she, she kind of gets down to the ball, doesn't she? She doesn't have that sort of stilt-legged movement. She, that, that thing, that's why her strikes are sweet, because she's got the leverage, but she's also a little bit, as you say, more fluid than Pliskova. She, she also is very nice at the net as well. I mean, there were three occasions. One where I just was taken by how quick across the ground she was. I mean, she, her legs might not go that quickly, because she's got the big strides, but she got up to a, a drop shot from Azarenga that was played with disguise, and she had the had the deftness of the touch. Plus, she can volley. Mm, yeah, we were sitting with Chris Clary of the New York Times in in the press seats, and and his sort of take on on the Rebecca movement is that she's generally slightly more comfortable moving forward than she is yes. laterally. and she missed quite a lot going out wide to her forehand, didn't she? Exactly, whereas if she's on her own terms coming into the net, she really sort of eats up that ground and can get quite close to the net and sort of use those those softer hands than you think she's going to have to hit some touch volleys. No, she doesn't, and, and I do think Azarenka maybe needed to exploit that lateral movement a bit more. I mean, I know that's an easy mm. thing to say when the ball's coming at you as hard as it is from from Rebekina but when she did get the break in the first set as Arenka she did it with a lovely rally in which she hit some slice and she sort of disrupted Rebekina in that game the same way she did to Pagula she didn't she wasn't really able to to carry that on through the match and I think I did I did read her press conference transcript as Arenka and she seemed quite disappointed with how she'd played today like she, she didn't feel like she had her best tennis yeah, it was an awkward press conference, wasn't it? And awkward for for reasons outside of the tennis, which will will tie into a topic that we'll we'll get onto later with our geopolitical sport correspondent Simon Briggs <laughs> over here. Um, let's talk about Arena Sabalenka a bit because I want to be able to talk about this matchup in the final. Obviously, we'll give it we'll give it a full preview um, tomorrow evening after the men's semi-finals and, and ahead of the women's final on, on Saturday. But Arena Sabalenka, a very, very similar scoreline for her against Magdalenette, but quite a different first set, I think, even though it went to the tie-break. She stormed through the tie-break, won it. She was six love, wasn't she? Ended up winning it seven points to one. Y- you tweeted, I think, Matt, 
unbelievably impressive that Arena Sabalenka ended up missing that set. She she didn't really have a backhand <laughs> for for most of that first set. Yeah, I just felt like if any if any set of conditions were right for Sabalenka to sort of lose a set, that were they were all there in that first set. She came out misfiring pretty pretty recklessly. It's a pretty cold evening in, in Melbourne tonight. We had to. We made some bad to, clothing <laughs> choices today. We had today. to have an emergency dash to pick up our jumpers halfway through that uh, I'd first semi-final. I lost circulation in my hands after the first set. <laughs> We're sitting inside for a reason. Exactly. Tonight. Yeah, um, and I just think those sort of slightly chilly, breezy conditions were not great for Sabalenka. Uh, Lynette was playing really well. You know, the smart tennis that we've come to see from her all tournament. David, you were in the stadium and mentioned just how much the crowd were on Lynette's side and, and enjoying her. There's always a big Polish contingent sort of following all the Polish players. David and said the crowd love, in all caps, did. Magda Lynette. They did. I mean, I think, for a start, you know, you've got this, this player who is nigh on half the size of her opponent and nobody's ever heard of her before right and she's not making enormous noise when she hits the ball there's a and that's not a criticism of Sabalenka Sabalenka has this feeling of being overwhelming as though her power could just destroy you and and just knock you out the stadium and yet she was standing up to it and she's redirecting the play and she's winning rallies that you can't believe she's winning and it's just it's a it's a real underdog feel that they they loved it. Mm. So I mean, given that, given how Sabalenka was playing, given the conditions, and I think most importantly, given Sabalenka's record in in Slam semi-finals coming into this, zero wins, three losses, and you know the one that always stands out for me is her performance against Leila Fernandez at the U.S. Open, which was just just a tornado of unforced errors. <laughs> And she just was so anxious and nervous, just sort of unable, unable to play her game. Given all of that, the fact that she then found her way, found her game in that first set, I thought was really, really impressive. And, you know, by the end, she was, in, as you said, in that tie break, she was playing the sort of tennis she's been playing all tournament. I just love how she has got a handle on the sort of mental and emotional side of her game without reining in any of mm. the power you know she's still just as eye-catching and overwhelming and she's just she's just sort of brought everything else under control it's it, it's an amazing sight and um yeah she then stormed through through the second set pretty pretty comfortably really i, I really love watching her because she's like the sort of tennis player that i'd want to be if i could choose just like <laughs> dominic team like it's full throttle all the time you know I like watching kind of the Fabrice Santoro deaf players but I wouldn't want to play like that I want to just be able to crush every ball and just kind of trample on my opponent with enormous feet like they, like those players do um she's kind of like a lion when she's when she's doing what she was doing in the tie break um and uh, yeah it's just spectacular spectacular tennis the freedom of those swings when she's going She's actually, she actually got better timing than I think maybe people realise because there's so much noise and so much drama and all the rest of it. You actually look at her racket skills. I mean, she hit one clean backhand winner with a slice cross court <laughs> late on. That was a collector's item. I, it, I remember that. It was gorgeous the way she did it. And I realised, crikey, she's got good hands. She's a very she? successful doubles player. Yes, of course. Yeah, mm. I mean, and, that, and those are her two Grand Slam finals, aren't they? Mm. That she's actually she won them both as well. Just, just quickly... 
what sort of tennis player are you? <laughs> if you, if you want to be, if you want to be, I'm cagey. Sabalenka, and you want to be team. What actually are you? No, no, no very conservative, stylish. Like, <laughs> yeah, but, oh, really? But, give me a name. Elise Cornet. What? I don't have strapping. <laughs> <laughs> well, possibly, you know, I suppose I am slightly permanently injured, so I suppose that would be one, one comparison. Goffin. What do we think? Well, he's got a single-handed backhand. Oh, well, you've played with Simon. Yeah, so and what, we're playing again in, sort of in about 11 hours. What player would you describe him as? Well, he's been, he's been described on our, on our Instagram as Dan Evans in the yeah, past. Yeah, Evans would be, would be me on my very best. Dan day, Evans isn't conservative, though. He's loving that he's, description. He, he, is, he does play percentages to some extent, and he's got a method of playing, and he doesn't have big weapons when he gets to the end of sets, which is why he has a problem closing, which is another, something else I would identify with. <laughs> Us now. Mm, and just just going back to Sabalenka, I must say the pattern of this match was was actually quite similar to a lot of the matches she's played, and maybe something to look out for in the final, in that she actually isn't coming out all guns blazing. She's she's been a breakdown to Rogers, to Benchich, and to Lynette, and she was three all with with Vekic after about forty five minutes. Like it does seem that that. Open, those opening stages are the time where you've got to mm. try and capitalise, but no one yet has been able to you know, build a big lead. And eventually Sabalenka's power has sort of switched on and it's all calibrated and, and she's ended up sort of overwhelming everyone. Mm. She hasn't lost a set this year in Adelaide or, or here in Melbourne. Um, but yeah, maybe something to watch out for in the final, whether you know, the nerves of a first Grand Slam final as well might feed into that. But once she gets going... It kind of feels like she's unstoppable, but there is a chance kind of at the beginning of the match. And at the end. I mean, she faltered That's at the true. end. Yeah. She went, saw three match points come and go, but it wasn't just that. It was There was really a, a stiff arm just mm. coming down the home straight, and that will be much more mm. powerful in the final. Yeah. But also, I wonder how many rallies there are going to be. I mean, we talked about how they do move well for being the size of player they are, but they're not either great defenders are they so it could be average rally three and a half shots mm. could be a lot of winners a lot of them four stars mm. a, a couple of things struck me when when Sabalenka was toiling away in that first set F- first of all I thought if she loses this one if she becomes 0-4 in Grand Slam finals including one now against with all due respect Magdalena she's heavy favourite there I was starting to think that's baggage she won't overcome it started to feel even higher stakes as as the match went on especially as she was playing badly Magdalenette was playing very well but Sabalenka it was poor from her in the opening stages it was nervy it was poor it was anxious it wasn't low heart rate stuff (laughs) Um, and given all of that that must have been in the back of her mind thinking oh my god I can't blow this one as well um, very impressive from her and the, the, the second thing was the the walk of Magdalenette which of course they tracked back to the locker room because they do that here there's there's cameras everywhere you go and on one hand I thought well what a tournament so much better than she ever could have expected when she was coming here but also uh, so you know you know wonderful from that perspective but also she's probably thinking that, that was it. That was it. That was the chance. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah I, she I, might get another one, but I think we all know, and she probably knows, because she, she's not doing anything differently, is she? She's she's played, she's been the best version of herself. Um, she's been incredibly focused and fit and strong and got better as, as every match has gone on, but the stars have aligned for her this tournament, and the chances of that happening again are very slim, and there was something really heartbreaking about, you know, just seeing that. Especially as we now know that she really did want more mm. she wasn't satisfied in the previous round and i do love that yeah you know how much i hate it when people are just happy to be there want more always but it wasn't on a racket at any stage no uh, when well, is it ever it against serena sabalenka was it <laughs> and that is interesting isn't it because both of these two players we're going to see in the final they're used to having everything on their racket yeah, I, and and that's the thing. I mean, it, it's it's easy to kind of think of Sabalenka as the power player because everything about her is hurricane-like. But Rebecca might do it quietly, but she's mm. just as aggressive. It could be the heartbeat that wins it because I mean Sabalenka's all over the shop. Her ECGs would be uh, like like the Himalayas. <laughs> Can I tell you that Sabalenka leads the head-to-head three and O. Okay. They've been close, though. They have been close. The last two meetings were 2021 Wimbledon and a tournament at the start of the year in Abu Dhabi, which I think might have been one of those COVID pop-up tournaments. Um, and they, they were both three-setters, but still, Sabalenka steps onto the court thinking, I've never lost to this person. I think just mentally that's pretty big. I think she'll take anything she can get, really. And uh, mentally, I think she's been incredibly strong. Magdalenette is on her way. Sorry, Magdalene, we're busy. Um, <laughs> we're tied up, Magdalene. But I mean, Sorry. I was watching her out the window, right out the window, when she's she lets those three match points come and go. And I was just curious, well, what's she, what's she going to do? And she just sort of she gave a face. A, a sort of oh, sort of face another one's gone and then then she just took a big deep breath she went right okay let's go and it, and it was clearly a proper reset she'd worked out how do I reset if things go wrong and she's nailed it I mean until that last game she'd hit one double fault in the whole match this is somebody who's hitting a dozen a match and more that is, I mean, we have talked about it quite a lot, but it's been at least a couple of rounds since we've talked, we've talked about the extraordinary turnaround in Arena Sabalenka's serving. Well, she had a mild relapse, teams. didn't she, against Donna? Yeah, that's, I think she was nine I think double that was contagious. Donna had hit like 14, and, mm. and Sabalenka only hit five in the first set and a half, and then a rash of them came at the end. But overall, I mean, it, she's tidied that up an incredible amount she brought on the biomechanist mm, no I mean but it's so many things that were holding her back have gone I mean she's visibly fitter she's visibly mentally stronger she's fixed her serve those are the three issues that you might have questioned I mean no one could ever say that her game was anything other than utterly compelling oh and um, the Aussie crowd aren't quite heckling her as much you remember the first time she was here played Ashley Barty in the first round and they did the all echoing thing that was the, the the thrust of my interview with her in 2019. Is it 2019? Maybe, maybe, was it 2020? Or 19, something like that. And uh, yeah, it was coming coming back to Australia. And then, how do you think you'll go? And are you kind of concerned about it? Uh, but I was really just wanting to meet her because she was uh, she exploded uh, like onto the scene, and we thought that she was potentially going to win a major that season. How did you find her then? 
really good to talk to. I mean, she's very engaging. Um, I think we, I've heard you mention that this fortnight she's dialed back on the press conferences as well, and that's part of trying to lower down her emotion, emotional temperature. Mm. Um, and, you know, whatever works. I suspect if she does get a breakthrough and does um, manage to put her game on the court more regularly, that might return. I don't think she would necessarily remain kind of muted for too long because it's not really her. Yeah, but I think it's a pretty smart call right now, this minute. Yeah, she definitely has been guarded. Um, I mean, her her demeanour's been friendly enough, but in terms of, you know, the length of her answers, she has seemed guarded. I think in the on-court interviews as well as in the in the press conference room, perhaps not so much today, but uh, in the after the quarterfinal victory, she was a little bit abrupt on court and in the press conference room it was pretty pretty business-like from her there's probably a wariness about and this will only increase after what's happened in the last 24 hours which we'll talk about in a moment um a wariness about questions relating to her nationality um even though i know that the the netflix episode that centers around her that's coming in the in the second half of the season of Breakpoint, very much does get into um, the events of last year, the war, the ban on Russian and Belarusian athletes and its impact on on Arena Sabalenka. So she obviously is prepared to to talk about, talk about it and go there, but that's obviously a very controlled editorial environment. She's not done it in a press conference? I don't at think any so, stage, no. 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 Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops if we're stopping to get gas. You will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Victoria Zarenka was asked um, about her nationality in press conference and that was that was how it got awkward earlier the reason um that that is particularly in the spotlight is because last night during Novak Djokovic's win over Andre Rublev one fan in the crowd who'd started the match wearing a Novak Djokovic t-shirt at some stage peeled that t-shirt off to reveal the Z symbol that is representative of support for the Russian army and their illegal invasion of Ukraine. That man was spoken to by a steward, but he was allowed to put a jacket on and remain in place. And he actually then went to get an autograph from Djokovic after the match, wearing that jacket over the Z t-shirt. 
Then, a little later, pictures and video emerged of a small but very vocal gathering of fans outside the Rod Laver Arena, most of them brandishing just normal Serbian flags, but a handful bearing either Russian flags or flags with Vladimir Putin's face on or paraphernalia with the, the Z symbol on it. Then, not long after that... A piece of footage emerged of Novak Djokovic's father, Sorjan, posing for a photo with um, a few members of that pro-Russian mob and was heard saying, long live the Russians, to them as he was saying goodbye. And uh, needless to say, Simon, this has been quite a story over the last 24 hours. Yeah, I mean, we thought that Novak had done a very good job of quietening all the turbulence that followed the deportation saga. He probably felt that uh, everything was nice and tranquil. Uh, and now there's a whole new issue for him to discuss. And the press conference when he comes off the court after his semi-final tomorrow will be very interesting. We were speculating whether he might be wise to open with a statement um, so that he gets that out of the way. Um, last night, he answered about five questions, but none of them were about the demonstration. Um, at that stage, no one knew about his father's involvement in it, um, which was fleeting, but still um, did have a sense of uh, approval uh, for the, the pro-Putin demonstrators. Um, so the whole thing, it doesn't reflect well on the tournament, which allowed this to go on for, I can't say exactly how long, but it's felt like much longer than, than it should have done. They ought to have been ready for this because they've got um, sheets up on all the gates with all the things that are prohibited, including any regalia with, with Zs on. I mean, clearly the, the, the chat with the shirt, you can't strip search everybody. That's very tricky, mm. but... There were a lot of flags. Some were Russian flags. Uh, one was a flag of the of the biker gang called the Night Wolves, who the ringleader of the of the demonstration was seemed to be affiliated to in some way. And then there was a flag with uh, Vladimir Putin's face on it, which was probably the most kind of shocking image. So the whole thing was pretty ugly and didn't reflect well on anyone. Did it feel predictable? Do no, you, were you expecting something like this to transpire? Really, wasn't over the course of this tournament? No, I mean, I had a sense that Serbia, um, with its history of connection to Russia, has been more politically favourable. I mean, that's been talked about in Europe, just as a, as, as a stance of the Serbian government, the Serbian people. But totally, never imagined that there'd be a, a pro-Putin de- demonstration here. It later emerged that. Um, uh, there was a character called the Aussie Cossack who'd um, almost sent out a call to arms on his video channel. Um, he's actually, I think he's in the Russian embassy at the moment evading Australian police after assaulting or allegedly assaulting a man at a pro-peace rally. Um, but he put out a, a call to arms saying, get down to Melbourne Park uh, tomorrow night and Tennis Australia better be ready because it's, it's going to happen and... It, it probably it's understandable they didn't see that but looking mm. back now um, perhaps that was a, a a message they could have picked up Victoria Zarenka when quizzed about this in her press conference now obviously she's she's just lost a semi-final match at a at a grand slam so that absolutely needs to be factored in in into 
into all of our into all of our takes of, of what she had to say but the the gist of her responses which were curt to say the least was it's not fair to be asking players about this it's got nothing to do with us we have no power over what these people are doing whether they're fans of ours or from our country or not is that a fair rational take i agree with that unless your uh, family member or team member becomes involved in the protest and at that, that point i think there is a element to which you probably need to address a question on it i'm not blaming anybody um i'm just saying that uh, as long as you're saying isolated from the events then then that's a perfectly uh, Is, isn't there a difference though between blame i don't think anybody would blame any players for for anything like that 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 we saw last night here at melbourne park but players do have a platform and they do have power and you know when it suits them they they use that and acknowledge that and this is a, a situation where an anti-war message regardless of whether what you're a family member might have done an anti-war message please don't if you're a fan of me please don't be expressing support for this illegal war would go an awful long way actually in this situation the players do have some control and maybe even responsibility I mean in this instance it's obviously Djokovic fans who were um, leading this this mini rally I don't know whether he would have any idea that was even plausible. For, not, not in advance, but now I'm saying uh, now doesn't he have? Well, I mean, some it, power. You, you made the point just now. Perhaps, a, a, perhaps a statement at the start of his press conference mm. might be a good idea. And I do, th- I do think a request to not have his name or his matches associated mm. with any demonstration. It, would be a good idea from from his perspective, and I don't necessarily you know because it's difficult because he doesn't want to, he won't want to alienate people that support him generally. But I think that, that 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 would be a perfectly fair request from him if that's how he feels about it. From from Azarenka's perspective, um, I mean, I, I can I could understand why she wouldn't want to use the words that you've just used, for instance, because she is Belarusian, and and she is in a very, very difficult position in that regard. I think, I think the way Andre Rublev has handled it throughout mm. is, is probably about as far as one can reasonably expect somebody to go. Um, and I think he's, he, he has handled it very well. I mean, if somebody would go further, amazing. But I can kind of understand why they don't. But not many have gone as far as Andre Rublev. No, I, I, I know. I agree. And I mean, Daria Kasatkina, I think, mm. another one. Who, yeah. And, and I... I my my admiration for them is mm. is is immense, mm. and, and I think the point about Djokovic opening with a statement tomorrow, like that would show that he sees it as important. He's not just waiting for a question on it, and also he's you know, not he waiting to avoid one. Not either. Either. Exactly, exactly, and um, and just take some control of of the situation. Like I think it would be in his interest to do that. So it'll be interesting to see whether he does. It's going to be very interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, I, just in terms of the match, that this will be, you know, on his mind ahead of 
you know, one of his biggest matches well, it's, in, it's, a, in a long time. How can it? How can it not be? Particularly with thing, the implication of his dad. Yeah, in this I mean, I as think, well. I think that's very awkward yeah, for him. Yeah, I think Mike Dixon from the Mail tweeted. All he wanted was a nice, quiet life for yeah. the next few days to swimmingly go and win his tenth Australian Open. And so, thanks, Dad. And then this happens. <laughs> yeah. You know. So, from his perspective, this is this is a bit of a nightmare. And uh, yeah, it's it, the only the only looking at the players that are left and the way Djokovic is playing and how the the hamstring appears to be under control does only feel like something outside could destabilizes his efforts to win this game because if he plays his best tennis sorry Tommy Paul and Stefanos Tsitsipas and uh, Karen Hachanov are not going to be, beat the guy <laughs> well done thanks yeah. for hyping the men's semi-finals tomorrow <laughs> that was what I was just coming on to not before 2.30 on Rod Laver Arena following on from the mixed doubles final uh, which is um, Sanya Mirza Rohan Bapana and Luisa Stefani and Rafael Matos uh, they open up Rod Laver Arena but then not before 2.30 Karen Hashinov and Stefanos Sitsipas and then in the night session from 7.30 Novak Djokovic against Tommy Paul is everybody here of the mind that it's going to be a Djokovic Sitsipas final? Yeah I think so um Hatchinov is, I think he's the new diesel, isn't he? Like uh, Stan Varenka hmm. used to be the diesel. He does get stronger as it goes, but uh, Sitsipas, if he serves well, um, he needs to avoid getting drawn into those lengthy service games, I guess. But uh, you just think he'll be too strong for, for Kachinov. And yeah, I don't see Tommy Paul, unfortunately, for him. I don't think he's in the same league as Djokovic. But uh, I guess, uh, as, you, as you said last night, at least he doesn't have any scar tissue. Can anyone here make a case for anyone that's not Djokovic or Sitsipas, other than Reggie? <laughs> Reggie in our newsletter predictions competition, who remains on zero <laughs> after Sorry, 11 Reggie. days. Uh, no, Reggie's my favourite person in the world, David. Is he? Yes, he's my fig leaf of respectability. <laughs> Were it not for Reggie, I'd be last. Um, Reggie thinks Hashanov is going to win. So. Go on, Reggie. <laughs> mm. I think it's easier to make a case for Hashanov than it is Paul. But you're not going to. But I'm not going to. I mean, he's, he's lost all five. He's played against Sitsipas, and that's, that's quite a compelling head-to-head. You know, that's quite a lot of matches. Mm. I, I am still waiting for somebody to just make life stressful for Djokovic because frankly Alex Diminor and Andre Rublev have mm. wholly mm. failed mm. in that pursuit and I, I don't blame Diminor I think he was up against an unbeatable player that night but Rublev he let everybody down I'm mm. afraid and uh, I just feel as though he, t- he did though um, it wasn't my it wasn't my feeling watching from the stands I just I just felt that they were... I mean, Novak did say he played better against him and all, but I felt they were pretty close, those performances. I just feel like, a little bit like we talk about with... with was it with Sabalenka or with Rebecca Sabalenka that you might be able to get to her early? Mm. These matches were two games all, or, or whatever it was. Or the, 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 and I know that's very, very early stages and everything, but you've got a little chance, because he, he is edgy, Djokovic, and he knows what's at stake. And now this whole thing kicking off... And the hamstring. We've seen him get pissed off in week one. I think the hamstring is making him play better because every time that he's got a ball on his racket, he just is looking yeah, to put it away. He's, he's looking to damage. I, I, do, I do see that point. But I feel as though 
if somebody could stay with him on the scoreboard, they keep letting him off the hook. The set, you know, mm. that the match there was a set last night that felt more or less not that not not that one-sided, and yet it was five-one. That doesn't make any sense, does it? But though, that's how the rallies were feeling. That's how the score, the sort of the the game scores were feeling, and yet Djokovic was winning them all. You have to exert some scoreboard pressure, and if Tommy Paul could do that, at least we would have some questions asked of Novak Djokovic. Mm. Yeah, I think the most disappointing thing about about Rublev is that he told us pre-match that he didn't believe he could win. So, you know, sort of no matter how well Djokovic was playing, and I do agree he was he was excellent last night, even if not quite at the level he was against De Menor. You never, you never, you just never felt like Rublev had the belief to to capitalise on anything, um, and. With Tommy Paul, I, I think it's a bit different because, as we said yesterday, he he, he doesn't have that that scar tissue. He's, he's he's got other issues, you know, and that he's playing his first Grand Slam semi final. Um, it, it's going to be extremely tough for him, but but he is reminiscent he, of a World War Two American GI, <laughs> so anything feels possible. It feels more possible than it did with Rublev. Agreed. Just, Low bar as that is. Yeah. Agreed. Um, there is one last thing that I want to touch upon today, and that is um, that seven members of the original nine are here at Melbourne Park. They came in for a, an open press conference yesterday, which was um, available for anybody to, to go to. Chanda Rubin brilliantly hosted it and asked each of them some questions and then the, it was opened up to the floor. It was a little chaotic, but it was very, very good fun. And then today, um, those seven members of the original nine were honoured on court on the Rod Laver Arena before the start of the women's semi-finals. There was at, Matt and I got there at seven, which was the advertised time for this presentation. And somehow we found ourselves in a sort of mini Katy Perry tribute concert which was not what we'd signed up for at all there was a um a performance by the cast of and juliet the 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 west end show um and it was the katie perry song raw anyway it was it was fine but it was not the original nine as we uh, as we thought it was going to be but anyway the original nine did um did eventually come out they were announced onto court um the seven members peaches barkovitz uh, Rosie Casals, Judy Dalton, Billie Jean King, Kerry Melville-Reed, Christy Pigeon, and Valerie Zeigenfuss, the two uh, absent members, Nancy Ritchie and Julie Heldman. They were announced onto court. They were presented with a bunch of flowers each. They waved, and then they were asked to leave the court. And I don't want to be too harsh here because I think it's brilliant that they have been honoured and the, that the Australian Open have done this. Um, the reason they're doing it this year is because it's the 50th anniversary of the WTA. It was actually the 50th anniversary of the original nine doing their thing in 1970. But um, their breakaway tour, the Virginia Slim Circuit, eventually evolved into the WTA tour in 1973. And I hope the other slams and, frankly, every other tournament um, does something to honour the original nine. But it was really special that... The seven of them made the effort to come all the way down here to Australia. And the reason they've done that is because they want people to understand and remember what they did and not take anything for granted. 
and to know their history. In the Billy, words of Billie Jean King, if you, if you don't know your history, then you're in danger of repeating it. Um, I think I've butchered Billie Jean King there. That's, that's not the exact quote, is it? Well, you've put me on the spot here. <laughs> no, I think, I think that's I think pretty much it. That's pretty much it. Um, and I just thought it was a bit of a missed opportunity because they had a captive audience there inside the Rod Laver arena and there was, no, there was no video presentation to explain who they were and the importance of what they did. There was no opportunity for any of them to speak. Um, and that's why they're here, you know, to tell the story, to keep it in people's minds. Um, and I guess I just wanted to to mention them and the fact that they were here and what they did um because it is important and what they did is incredible nine female tennis players risked everything in 1970 by breaking away from tennis's existing governing bodies that were screwing women over to form their own professional tour as i said the virginia slim circuit that evolved in 1973 to become the wta tour um, and without these female tennis players, would, without these women, female tennis players would not be earning a living from the sport, let alone earning the millions that they do today. And as Billie Jean King said in that press conference yesterday, I hope they think about us when they receive a cheque. I would co-sign, by the way, what, what you say about the presentation. I just felt there was a great opportunity there to give them some more time to they've got a full house captive audience opportunity maybe even to get some of the other players out and just tell everybody remind everybody what happened back then with a little video montage to tell the story a bit like channel nine did in their in their Mm. news they did a nice job um let billy jean king speak let rosie casal speak a little bit there's nothing def always let rosie casal speak she is a hoot she's great fun um at the end of the uh, press conference yesterday they were they were trying to wrap things up and uh, somebody somewhere said arena sab arena sabalenka's waiting and rosie casal said she can wait. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I think my favourite line was uh, when Alana Kloss, who was sort of sitting in amongst the journalists, sort of said something and uh, Rosie Casal says, what's, what's your name and affiliation, please? <laughs> <laughs> um, good. Just a final thought uh, on that. Thanks to Yelena Dokic, this did get some airtime because in the interview with Elena Rabakena, she very forcefully and clearly and with detail made the point to Elena Rabakina that the women sitting in that president's box have enabled this opportunity for you, for, for women to be able to earn the living they are and to be able to play these matches on the stage, what would you like to say? And Rabakina took the, the baton and, and, and said some very nice words to make it clear that she's enormously grateful. And... Um, well done, Yelena Dokic, because she took over that narrative and, and made sure it was, it she was did. laid out for everybody. She did brilliantly. Um, but part, part of the point, I think, that the, the original nine are trying to make is that the players need to be educated about what they, what they did, why they're here, the history of the WCA Tour. Why isn't there a WCA university, a rookie school, how long has Billie Jean King been calling for a, a rookie school? In I, th- I think the thing is, as well, by by learning about it, I think it would make m- more of them active 
Mm. Outside of the court, they would do not more. take things for granted. Yeah, I mean, Billie Jean's always saying she. Wa- I mean, I know the media has changed and they've got their own channels these days and all this, but Billie Jean is always saying she'd do anything for the media because that's how we tell our story. I mean, it's just music to the ears, isn't it? How how many current top ten players do you think would say that? I'd do anything for the media. <laughs> well, maybe they don't think we'd do much for them. <laughs> uh, but uh, I don't know. We we had a bit of a setback, I guess, when when Naomi Osaka kind of had her um, moment of, of, of querying press conferences. But since then, a lot of them have actually uh, said that how much they they value the, the um, interaction. The journalists, a lot of them do come in with a very open attitude. Some of them seem to enjoy it. Yeah. Some of them seem to feel it's a little, like a little, little bit like a, a free therapy session. The new crop, actually, uh, think of Svantec and Goff and, and several others. And I think, I think, like you say, that being face to face again matters. And mm. uh, you know, we had we had two years of just doing these things on a Zoom call, and the players, Naomi, I think, expressed something that maybe other people didn't realise they were feeling, that they mm. weren't enjoying that. We weren't really enjoying it. You know, we were just you just off to your off to your spare room to go and have a, another Zoom call. You know, and it's just it was relentless. How and, can I disguise my pajamas today? <laughs> and and whereas we're, we're in these rooms and you can have a conversation with them, I don't feel like we're being rushed through press conferences. Mm. Maybe maybe like we used to be. I do think it's. I, it's I think if you come to an event like this, they're they're extremely good. Yeah. I mean, and it's not everyone wants. You know, we talked about Arena Sabalenka wanting to keep her feelings to herself a little bit this 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 year. Well, fine, but there's so many people who are prepared to answer any question about yeah. anything under the sun. And this, I mean, there are a lot fewer of us at these events now as well. Because well, this year has been this, very low. The sheer Australia cost. I mean, it's so the expensive. Cost to get here has been greater than ever. So we've had, I think, I think about 20 members of the International Tennis Writers Association, which is quite quite a big fall. That's a fraction, mm. isn't it? Yeah. So there's not a huge uh, congestion in, the, in those interview rooms. Um, we have some sensations through to the men's doubles <laughs> final. Your favourites, David, Jason Kubler and Rinky Hijikata. I love those guys. They're so talented. <laughs> well, we're going to have to add sensations to tennis podcast terminology, aren't we, on the website? They we have <laughs> beaten Marcel Granoz and Horatio Zabayos in the semi-finals today, and they'll play Hugo Nice from Monaco. And Jan Zielinski from Poland, they beat Jeremy Chardy and Fabrice Martin in three sets today. Poor old Granoja Zabayos, Matt reminded me earlier, lost to the Special Ks last year, so it's, it's more sensation misery <laughs> for them. <laughs> yes, we were debating whether the Special Ks are sensations. I'm not sure they are. Well, they, they definitely are. aren't now. Were they at the time? I don't think they were at the time either, but I think they fall into the too high profile mm. category to be a sensation. <laughs> I think Simon might need a sensation. That's what I would call a paradox. <laughs> yes. Well, I didn't come up with the word sensation. Uh, John well, Millman is the original sensation. If you're too successful, you cannot be a sensation. Well, can you introduce you to the radio reporter concern? You have to be far <laughs> exceeding expectations to be a sensation. Isn't that uh, uh, one of those um, notches on my annual appraisal? <laughs> You tell us. Did you? I'd like to hear you, more about that. Please. Did you meet? Tell well, us. Definitely, yeah. definitely one We've of got the five minutes left, Simon. We can ditch the mascots. Tell us about yeah. your annual. No, you, you have to get far exceeding expectations in order to get a pay rise. And 
Well, I, well, I wouldn't want to go into the, uh, <laughs> the details. Just while we're on Simon, I don't know if anyone else has been fascinated by this, but Simon has eaten a Haribo slower than anyone I have ever seen while we've been recording this podcast. the ends of a Haribo cherry for the last well, half hour. I was concerned that I might be making chewing sound. <laughs> Into no, the so microphone. You don't, you don't normally do this. So he's had it teetering well, on his I don't normally have a microphone while I'm eating sweets. <laughs> Since Simon got all bashful on the pay rise, we do have time for mascots. <laughs> we have our Australian Open mascot Cordelia, and of course our Australian Open sponsor on location, um, the uh, premium hospitality and experience provider, and of course Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours. David, you have your mascot Maisie. Sorry about today, Maisie. Oh, I've got Xenia went at, went brilliantly. Our uh, our gap between us and Reggie continues to widen. <laughs> Thank she's you, also Reggie. Closed on me. A bit Matt a bit alarm, has Darwin. Yes, we got points today, Darwin. Billy Jean is sponsored by Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our top folks, Jamie, Drew, and Hannah. They're our executive producers. And Matt, we have shout outs. We have Tom Sansonetti. Oh. who right, is in Daniel Island, South Carolina, which is the site of the Charleston WTA oh, event. Lovely. And Tom is Maisie's owner. Oh. Yeah, go on, Tom! Yeah. We should have put Tom on a day when David had had some success. It's like every day I hear Matt go, <laughs> we got some points today, Darwin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Maisie, you have to put it with me. Uh, Tom, like Tom Gullickson. Yes. Yes. And Tom Ocker. Yes. Any other tennis Toms, Simon, want to join in? Tom, Tommy, Paul. <laughs> we took the main ones, there didn't you go. we? See? He's always been a Tommy, hasn't he? Yes. He hasn't had to do a rebrand like Stanislas Warinka or no. Andrew Murray or Daniel, Daniel Evans. Evans. Maybe at some point he'll, he'll go Thomas. Don't think so. <laughs> I think he's 25, like, you yeah. know. Anyway, thank you, Tom, and Steffi thank you, Graf Maisie. Steffi Graf went Stephanie. Did she? Yeah. She now insists on being called Stephanie Graf. Mm. There you okay. Go. Thank you, Tom. We've also got Nadia Hamya, who is in Paris. Right, Nadia. Nadia Podoroska. Oh, that's quick. Pulled that out of the bag. Very good. Nadia, wow. Uh, Nadia's in Paris, you say? Yes, which is scene of Nadia Podoroska's... Scene uh, only success. Success, indeed. <laughs> Thank you, Nadia. <laughs> Thank you, Nadia. And finally, we've got Kate Mulkey, who is in Bloomington, Minnesota. Right, Kate. Right, Kate. Kate. No, I've got loads of Katies on my mind. Well, I mean, I would Katie say... Bolton? Yes, I would say we can probably get away Katie's with our own Katie. Katie McNally. Br- yeah. Katie O'Brien. Oh, I mean, come on, all of those at one stage or another have been called Kate. Um, actually, I should say that this is a shout-out present to Kate from her two sisters, Val and Eve. Right, Val and Eve. Like Valerie Zeigenfuss. It's a stretch. <laughs> it's a stretch. <laughs> Anything that's else? all I've got. No, that's all I've got. <laughs> I'm still trying to think of an Eve, but mm. anyway, carry on. Thank you. I, there must be a tennis Kate. I think we have this every time we... We have a Kate. We we desperately cling to all the Katies. Yeah, and I'm alright with that. Princess Kate, Kate Middleton plays tennis, doesn't she? I've seen her play tennis. Yes, with Who my does own she eyes. She play like 
In if, fact, when you googled Kate Tennis, if Simon Briggs is Dan Kate Evans. Middleton what's Kate Tennis Middleton? Comes up. Or who is Kate Middleton? Sort of every posh club player that went to private school that you've ever seen. Are they all the same? <laughs> every private school player the same. Well, you know, you just sort of coached fine. Very, you know, no, no, no. <laughs> we don't make assumptions here, or anything. Who was she playing against? I think I think we know that Kate Middleton went to private school. <laughs> Who was she playing against? Um, Emma Raducanu. Yeah, I remember that. That's the big miss, isn't it? The Emma Raducanu correspondent. Yeah, you weren't there. I should have remembered that. No, I don't think I was invited. I don't think anyone was invited from the written press, were they? I don't. I mean, there wasn't much to write about. Mm. Doesn't normally stop us. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, he's now finished his hair. About it. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Um, do go and check out Steve Fogel's international tennis tours and the packages they're offering throughout 2023 and for the Australian Open 2024. Those packages have just been launched. I certainly can highly recommend a trip to to Melbourne for the tennis. We're having a lovely time. Um, Do sign up to the newsletter and enter the competition. Do follow us on Instagram, on Twitter. Good newsletter stat tomorrow. I've seen it. It's great. It's probably not one for Karen Hashanov fans or for Reggie, but it's brilliant. (laughs) Do sign up and leave us an iTunes review. And most importantly, we'll see you tomorrow. 2 presented by Nissan is live now and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you yeah, you you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.